Hi there. Thank you for choosing to listen to this sermon. We pray that God would use this as an added resource to benefit you in conjunction with you belonging to a local church near you. This sermon was preached at Central Baptist Church Pretoria. 130 years of believers loving God, caring for one another and impacting the world. Lord in these moments of silence we again just want to acknowledge that you are God that we are your creatures and thank you that you have gathered us together in this local church and Lord meeting together tonight and Lord our desire our expressed desire is that you continue to mold us continue Lord to change us into the likeness of Jesus and so as we turn Lord to these passages tonight I do pray that you would teach us correct us and lord even rebuke us when necessary we pray but may we lord be those who are trained in righteousness in jesus name amen so wondering tonight i would imagine that there isn't anybody yet tonight maybe some of the younger children yeah who don't have cell phones most of you have a cell phone In fact, I would add to that and say that most of you, if not all of you, have smart cell phones. So I'm led to believe, without you or me even knowing, your daily movements are probably being monitored by Google. Did you know that? Many, many years ago, I read, I think I was just finishing school, and I read George Orwell's book, uh, 1984, which seemed in the distant future. and he spoke about this concept of monitoring people's movements around the world and it kind of seemed like science fiction at that stage but your smartphone apparently gives not only access to you and to me to information to the world wide web it can also be used as a sophisticated tracking device now i'm saying that to not to scare you because google knows where you go Uh, Google knows the places you frequent. So much of what you do, some so many of the places where you go are simply now stored in the cloud. But even without that ability or capability, that surveillance ability of smartphones, an old-fashioned private investigator would be able to establish easily establish the patterns of your daily life. So we know the different private investigators that we've seen over the years on on television they will be able with feel fairly ease to establish what you do where you go the kind of places you visit and they're able to reach conclusions whether you someone in the light of what we looked at last week gives yourself to hard work in the church remember the topic we looked at last week that the title of the message was church matters and what is it that Jesus is saying to the churches and last week we looked at this uh, issue that he was concerned about we give of ourselves in hard work in the local church and so an uh, an investigator can establish that i don't think it it would be difficult for the investigator to establish what you believe 
sooner or later, it's uh, easy to see patterns of what you say and, 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 and how you share with others and people that you mix with and, and you will be put into a particular corner. You'd be, uh, be, be identified as uh, either a charismatic or a prosperity person or a reform person or, or an Arminian person. It would be easy to establish that simply by watching. Then, of course, it's also possible to establish what kind of life you live. Whether you behave in ways that are pleasing to God or not pleasing to God. Others will be able to see, and, and, and it's not difficult for them to see, whether you're a person who promotes marriage between a natural man and a natural woman, whether you promote uh, drunkenness as despicable to God, uh, that you promote that not paying taxes grieves the spirit. Now, the point I'm trying to get to in, in, in introducing this message is identified what individuals you believers, me as a believer, or what we as a local church do and believe is not hard to observe. We can see it. Others can see it. But tonight as we move on into a different emphasis, there are certain aspects about your personal life, there are certain aspects even about our lives together as a church known only to God. That's what I want us to consider tonight. In Revelation 2 and 3, we see that it matters to Jesus that you extend yourself in hard work, that you stand up for truth and holiness, that you patiently endure the attacks that come from the evil one. So my point is, it matters to him what you do outwardly, what people see. But tonight I want to move on and extract themes from basically these two churches. And I want you to see that there are some certain hidden or less obvious issues that matter to Jesus. And so my first point this evening is simply this. The unseen inside matters. When I was growing up, we had fruit trees in our garden, apricot trees, a tree, and peach trees, in fact. I enjoy fruit, and I often would take a peach or an apricot and bite into it and see a worm. Have you ever seen that? little worm starts wiggling. It's terrible when it's only half a worm. Okay, because then you know what happened to the other half of the worm. So I say that this evening because the outside of the peach looked so appetizing and so appealing. But by biting into the peach, there was a discovery of something very different. So the outside, the outside was not uh, accurately indicating what was on the inside. And in fact, nowadays I always use a knife when I cut a peach or an apricot. And, and the point I'm trying to make is that in some measure that illustrates that sometimes in the life of believers there is a gap between what we do outwardly, what we claim outwardly, the actions we perform, and what we really are on the inside. So have a look at chapter 3 and, and verse 1 where Jesus uh, dictating this letter to John uh, to this particular church, I know your works. 
you have a reputation of being alive. See the outside, the external, but you're dead. And so here at Sardis, what everybody thought was desirable and, and right and, and pleasing and honorable and, and what we could say was a shiny, desirable peach of a church actually was not so. The maggots were eating from the inside. John Stott, well-known Anglican author, uh, preacher, and I quote him on this, he says, this socially distinguished congregation, they were a sort of a flagship kind of church at Sardis, was a spiritual graveyard. Its works were beautiful grave clothes, which were but a thin disguise for this ecclesiastical corpse. The eyes of Christ see beyond the clothes to the skeleton. Now we, we have to consider that. We need to be thinking, is this true of me? Is this true of us? And we go back and we see that Jesus continues in his assessment and he says in chapter 3 again, I, I have not found your works complete in the sight of my God. There, there's something wrong with the works they're doing. There's something wrong with them on the inside. You see, the outward actions oozed and were infected by an unhealthy heart leaving them with distorted and corrupted motives, doing things for the wrong reasons. And so the good reputation and the good name that Sardis had was with men. It was with other people. And, 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 and it is something I think we can all so easily be guilty of. We're so concerned about what people think. But what is it? That God thinks. What is it that God thinks about me and my service and my, my worship and my loyalty to Him? From the outside, they seem solid and worthy. But in the sight of God, they were horribly defective. What then is the unseen inside? And I'm going to try and look at some details over here, two areas in fact, that matter to Jesus. You sit here tonight and you think, Lord, what is it that is of concern to you that I need to be looking out for in my life, in my walk with you? What challenge is the Spirit of God placing before you tonight, before me as I prepare and even preach this message? And, and the challenge is, yes, the outward appearance of your life as a believer, your profession, your confession must resemble the inward reality of your heart. Double standards don't please God. And so the first area I want to explore, and I simply put it as a challenge, be on the lookout for hypocrisy. You see, the pip and the flesh of the peach must resemble the outer skin. There needs to be an authenticity in the life of a believer. The spiritual health and the vitality of your heart matters to Jesus. And, and the truth is only you, maybe, mostly, but God knows. The rest of us don't. You don't know what's happening in my heart. I don't know what's happening in your heart. 
but it matters to Jesus. Outward expressions of faith and, 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 and work ought to resemble an inner warmth and tenderness toward God. We need to look out for the inside, the spiritual well-being of our hearts. So the nature of this inner spiritual heart is uh, hinted at when Jesus addressed uh, the few at Sardis who did not share. So there were some in the church that seemed to be okay. The inside and the outside were witnessing to each other. And he says in verse 4, Yet you have still a few names in Sardis, people who have not soiled their garments. This inner death is because of sin. The dirt of sin. Sin had somehow crept into the church and beneath the pious exterior of respectable congregational members was this secret uncleanness. What we do behind doors, what we do when we're on our own, what we do when nobody's looking. And so, so this, this blindness to this distinction between the outer and the inner is an old religious problem. And I found this verse in Isaiah chapter 29 verse 13 where God identifies this in Israel. And the Lord said, because this people draw near with their mouth and honor me with their lips while their hearts are far from me. You see, there's a, I think the word is incongruency. It doesn't seem to, to be right. It, 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 it should be uh, honoring God from the inside and not just from the outside. Jesus addresses this also in Matthew chapter 23, verse 5. Speaking to the religious people of the day. Now, we are the religious people of today. 2023, this goes back to first century. Uh, they do all their deeds to be seen by others. This is a human problem, trying to impress other people. For they make their phylacteries broad and their fringes long. They really wanted to look very religious. And then Jesus warns them late in the passage, verse 27, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you like whitewashed tombs outwardly appear beautiful but within you are full of dead people's bones and all uncleanness so you also outwardly appear righteous to others but within you're full of hypocrisy and lawlessness hypocrisy is that something that we ought to turn from to give it some more of uh, perhaps a description, hypocrisy literally means to play a part on a stage, some sort of game, an act in a drama. It is to pretend, it's to assume a role that is not real. And so hypocrisy so easily can permeate into the whole life of the church. And Jesus is concerned about that. It matters to him that, that we are not guilty of this. It can invade our worship being demonstrative in, uh, in, in our singing. And, 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 and it's okay to be demonstrative, but is that to impress others or, or is it simply to, to um, express one's love and devotion to God? A torrent of words can pour from our lips, but without sincerity. In Sardis, the hypocrisy is exposed by Jesus shining a 
spotlight on the emphasis and concern about reputation. And it is a question we ought to ask ourselves. I have a book on my shelf. The title is When People Are Big and God is Small. And it's a book that tackles this topic. You see, when we think people are more important than God, then we're going to be concerned about what they think of us and unconcerned about what God thinks of us. But God is big. People are small. We should be concerned about that which matters to Jesus. But I want to move on, and Jesus addresses the church at Laodicea, the spiritual, I think, hot trouble. And uh, he speaks not to the issue that we tackled, in fact, in the morning services today, uh, the lack of um, dependence on God. Revelation chapter 3, verse 17. For you say, I'm rich, I've prospered, I need nothing, not realizing that you're wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. And, and so secondly, don't be only on the lookout for hypocrisy. Be on the lookout for self-sufficiency. So a little bit of context, uh, AD 60, an earthquake, earthquake devastated this particular region. The city, Laodicea, was rebuilt without any help from Rome. They did not appeal to any help from Rome. The local citizens had become proud because they had been independent achievers. They were people who had been able to do things. And so in spite of the disaster, this city still became a regional banking center. It operated as an economic hub with a strong manufacturing sector, having a famous medical school. The context, the atmosphere of this uh, self-sufficiency permeated and affected the church. People became self-sufficient and independent. They did not realize that material prosperity does not equate to spiritual riches. There's a danger of that today. I remember, I've shared this before, I served as a youth pastor in two of my years when I was studying theology at a very wealthy church in the northern suburbs of Joburg. And money was no object to most people in that church. And I taught the young people, I was a youth leader, and I remember a girl, never, I'll never forget her telling me this, she said, why do you tell me I need God? I have no need in my life for anything. So they had everything. Boats on the weekend, overseas holidays, just anything and everything. And so there was the sense that, well, material prosperity clouded her view in seeing that she really was someone, as Jesus described, yeah, not realizing the wretchedness of sin and, 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 and the poverty and, and need, the blindness and the nakedness before God. Not realizing that you're wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. These people were beggars before God. They didn't see it. In spite of them having banks and factories, they said, I need nothing. Jesus saw that they did need him. They needed salvation. 
And so, folk, every one of us is in a state of spiritual, spiritual poverty. We're in spiritual danger, and we need the help of God. In and of ourselves, we can do nothing. It, it can be so easy if, if you're a, a person with, with means, if you're a capable person, that you think to yourself, well, uh, an outward veneer of religion is enough, going about the business of the church. I think this illustration really makes the point. I, I found this illustration so uh, challenging and so e- exposing of the truth. It, it's the story of Alexander the Great. Many of you will remember Alexander the Great. Well, on his deathbed, he summoned his army generals and he told them three ultimate wishes. This is what they must do once he dies. He says the best doctors should carry his coffin. Secondly, the wealth that he had accumulated, money, gold, and precious stones, should be scattered along the procession all the way to the cemetery. Thirdly, his hands should be let loose so they can hang outside the coffin for all to see. One of the generals who was surprised by these unusual requests asked Alexander to explain. Oh, here's what he said. He says, I want the best doctors to carry my coffin to demonstrate that in the face of death, even the best doctors in the world have no power to heal. Secondly, I want the road to be covered with my treasure so that everybody sees that material wealth acquired on earth will stay on earth. Thirdly, I want my hands to swing in the wind so that people understand that we come into this world empty-handed and we leave this world empty-handed. It's quite sobering, isn't it? But it's so true. Helplessness is the reality of who we are as sinful people. In the face of death and also in having to face God in eternity. The things we gather, the games we play, the sandcastles we build, few fleeting years are of no value in the sight of God. If anything, they can only be a danger, they can be a danger in deceiving you or me into thinking, I can make it on my own. I can provide for my eternal well-being and safety. They can't. Because we have a condition. It's a condition that needs intervention from God. Don't be deceived like these Laodiceans, not realizing that they were wretched and pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. So what do you do? What, 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 what is the, the response that Jesus is calling for? He identifies these things that matter to him. He's concerned for these people. His love for these people. His compassion for these people. But what do, what do you do? What do I do if we find ourselves in a similar state or a similar condition of, of being guilty of hypocrisy or self-sufficiency? Brings me to my third point. Be on the lookout for help from Jesus I typed my question into Google help for hypocrisy and self-sufficiency the top result was this the self-sufficiency of self-improvement that's the best advice that the world has to give Way down on the results, you know, there are many results that come. I did find 
Chuck Swindoll had something useful to say. But for the rest, those top results, nothing really of value. The point is, the scriptures do give us the answer. Jesus gives them the answer, therefore gives us the answer. There's no need to be confused about how one addresses the issue of being wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. Or we can quote another verse, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. How is that addressed? So in these letters, uh, Jesus provides the answer. Notice what he says to the hypocrites, the church at Sardis. Chapter three, verse three. Remember then what you received and heard, Keep it and repent. If you will not wake up, I will come like a thief, and you will not know at what hour I will come against you. To the arrogant, to the church at Laodicea, Revelation 3 verse 14, Jesus offers, he he offers gold refined by fire to be rich and white garments so that you may clothe yourself and the shame of your nakedness may not be seen. So be zealous and repent. And so, so he has the answer. Help from Jesus requires true, meaningful repentance. Confessing, acknowledging insufficiency, inadequacy, uh, sinfulness. Acknowledging that, confessing that, but turning away from that sin, whether it be the sin of hypocrisy or the sin of self-sufficiency or any other kind of sin, and trusting Jesus for the help you need. That's, that's the, the simple message of the gospel. Repenting means that you have to undergo a change of mind and behavior, the change of heart. It's not mere a switching of minor opinions, but it's the entire direction of your life. Instead of self, it's more about God. A radical turning from sin and to Christ. And again, I want to just try and illustrate that with another story that I found uh, and listen to to this (coughs) um, description. A man by the name of Robert Robinson. He was an English clergyman, pastor, and he lived in the 18th century. We read that he was not only a gifted pastor and preacher, he was also a highly gifted poet and hymn writer. However, after many years in the pastorate, his faith began to drift. Very tragic, but I can tell you that happens frequently. It happens often. He left the ministry and he finished up in France indulging himself in sin. In other words, he was sowing his wild oats. One night he was riding in a carriage with a Parisian socialite who had recently been converted to Christ. She was very interested in his opinion on some poetry that she was reading. This is what she read. Come thou fount of every blessing, tune my heart to sing thy grace, streams of mercy never ceasing, call for hymns of loudest praise. I think we sing that song sometimes in the evening service. When this lady looked up from her reading, she noticed Robinson was crying. What do you think of it, he asked in a broken voice. I wrote it, but now I've drifted away from him and can't find my way back. But don't you see, the woman said gently, 
the way back is written right here in the third line of your poem. Streams of mercy never ceasing. Those streams are flowing even here in Paris tonight. And folk, streams of mercy never ceasing, those streams are flowing here at Central Baptist Arcadia tonight. And we're going to have a picture in the reality of the message of Jesus who accomplished that redemption because of his compassion, because of his love, resulting in streams of mercy never ceasing. They come from Jesus, the Jesus that is concerned about hypocrisy, about self-sufficiency, about any kind of sin. The issue one, that I'm wanting to address tonight in my final comments here is really about sin. We struggle with sin. All of us struggle with sin. What do you do with the sin that can be so deceptive and, and even uh, convincing yourself that if outwardly things are okay, it uh, doesn't matter about inwardly because no one sees it. God sees it. But what we see in this passage over here is don't excuse your sin. Don't make excuses that you can't help it because of such and such. Don't justify the sin. It's somebody else's fault or, or blaming somebody else for it because of a parent or because of a sibling or because something was done to you or something not done to you. Don't ignore it. Don't ignore it. Acknowledge it. Admit to, to yourself that you're a sinful person in need of streams of mercy never ceasing. Admit that and then confess that. Trusting and turning to Jesus for forgiveness. Standing before him in acceptance. Welcome ultimately into his kingdom. And so we're going to, in a few minutes, uh, share around the Lord's table. I think appropriately tonight, uh, reminded to us of the redemption that he has achieved. I'm going to pray and then I think, Chido, we're going to sing a song and then proceed with the communion service. Lord, I do pray that uh, the reality of what you said, that you would send your spirit to convict the world of sin, righteousness, and judgment. And Lord, that's my prayer tonight, that your spirit would be at work, stirring in our hearts, in our consciences, in our minds, the presence of sin. And Lord, especially if there is among us tonight, there are among us people who have unconfessed sin, unresolved sin. And we thank you for the table that we're about to uh, participate in, the bread and the cup, remembering that if we confess our sin, you are faithful and just to forgive us and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And may each of us, all of us, leave here tonight, Lord, feeling that we're able to have a new start, that indeed you would be pleased, not because of anything we have done, but simply because we have received that gift of grace, the streams of mercy never ceasing, changing our hearts, molding us and forming us more into the likeness of Jesus, giving us tender hearts with motives that seek to honor and please you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to the sermon. Find out more about Central Baptist Church at www.central.org.za.